Well, we're starting a we're starting a new series today, and we're just going to be for the month of January. So we're going to talk about the house, and today I want to talk about the house that is your life. As we get into this, the new year, as it gets upon us, is really a great time to kind of take stock, to reevaluate, uh, you know, of your life. Some of you have probably started a new diet this week. Some of you started a new fitness routine this week. Um, you know, maybe you said, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to get a handle on my finances. And so you're waiting for Financial Peace University to start pretty soon. Or you say, I, I'm going to travel or I'm going to change jobs or I, I'm going to start that master's program I've been thinking about. Uh, all of those things are great. And I just would encourage you, whatever the Lord is laying on your heart, what kind of dream you're getting, go for it with all your heart. And I say that because every day of your life is a build day. You're building every day of your life. Some days the construction is slow. Some days you feel like it's coming apart more than it's going together. But every day of your life is a build day. And uh, what you're building is the house that is your life. What you're building is the house that is your life. And it's unique to you. No one else has your preferences, your style, your colors, your design, your God-given gifts, your talents, your achievements, your scars, your experiences. Those things are all helping you to determine the house that you're going to build and what it's going to look like. And there's two ways we get in trouble with this um, as we build our house. The first is that we have a tendency to compare our house to others. And, and what, you know, we forget is that we mostly just see the facade of other people's houses. We don't see what's really going on structurally in their home, right? So, um, it's like, uh, it's, if you're a fan of Jordan Peterson, it's his rule number four of the 12 rules for life. He, he says you need to uh, compare yourself to yesterday. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Consider, where am I today compared to where I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years? Is there progress? Don't compare yourself. Oh, I should look more like this person. No. Where are you on that track? So look at in terms of progress. So the first area we get in trouble is comparison to others. The second area of, of trouble that is related to the first, and it's that we're tempted to build our house to impress others. We wanted to look at It's the Facebook motto, right? Uh, you know, show the best and hide the rest. That's uh, kind of how we how we live. It's it's a bit like there was a show that used to be on HDTV called Curb Appealed. Anybody ever watch that show? Uh, yeah, it was great. You know, so you, they they would redo the, the the front of the house to hopefully like get it to sell and increase the value. And and we think, well, if we can just you know improve the look of my life a little bit, just just get the the front of the house looking better. I've got to work on my front porch this year a little bit. Right? Then we think, well, then our value will increase. We'll be, we'll be of more value. And, and that's a mistake that we make when we're building for others. Do what God's leading you to do. Now, I'm a fan of self-improvement. Uh, getting healthier, getting better educated, getting out of debt, getting more organized. Those are all excellent things to do. But don't neglect what's most important. And that's the unseen part of your house. See, as you walked up to the church building this morning, every single one of you walked across what? Concrete sidewalk, right? Why would we do that? Why not just put grass up to the building? That would work. That'd be okay. Why not just let it be dirt and just get in the habit of, you know, wiping your feet as you come in the door? We could, we could live with that. It's because we want you to have something solid under your feet as you walk up and approach the building. 
It's the most important part of your house, the foundation, what you build it on. And it's unseen and it's usually kind of underground. See, here's the amazing thing. You have the freedom to build your house the way you wish. You can listen to good advice or you can ignore it. You can, you can build with quality or you can build junk. You can, uh, you, you, you have all the choices and the preferences that you want. Jesus said you can be a wise builder or you can be a foolish builder. Jesus even tells us the secret to wisdom of a secure, lasting foundation. But to be clear, you have the freedom to choose what you would do. In fact, we're going to read exactly what Jesus had to say about this. It's in Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to start finding that. Jesus' friend, a guy named Matthew, he included this as the conclusion to the greatest sermon ever recorded. Jesus' sermon on the mount. And I got a couple of photos here as you're finding that, Matthew chapter 7. This is in Israel. This is overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's called the, the Church of the Beatitudes. It's where they think the Sermon on the Mount might have happened. Everything in Israel is where it might have happened. But it's, it's nice to think about. It's a beautiful church. I got one more picture here, a couple from our church. We were there last year and uh, maybe some of those know those, that nice couple. And uh, there we are in front of the church. Uh, it's a, it's a lovely place, but man. People come from all around the world to see that. The place is always packed, but it's really great to see. All right, let's find Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24, and let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 7, starting at verse 24. These are the words of Jesus, and he says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. We thank the Lord for His Word this morning. Now, most likely you've heard this before. I'm actually going to pull these down just a little bit so I can actually see you. And I can also see what I'm doing over here. Is that all right? I look like 10 years older, 20 years older. It's a great look. My son says it's a great look, so we're going to go with that. Is he sarcastic or not? I'm not sure. You know this story. It's obvious. A wise builder builds on a solid foundation. A foolish builder does not. Okay? Well, what's not so obvious is what it takes to build that solid foundation. Because it's not working hard at being a good person. It's not being financially astute. It's not being fit and healthy or friendly or popular. Those are not the things that build your solid foundation. Okay, well, is it the words of Jesus? Sort of. But not quite. Because Jesus said, the wise builder is the one who hears and obeys. Who listens and puts it into practice, right? 
who takes it in and follows. See, it's never enough to just know what Jesus said. Even if you were to memorize everything he said, it's not enough. It has to be applied, has to be put into practice. See, as an adolescent, I was a decent student, but I hated school. I hated it. I could just never find my way. I, I don't know why, but mostly I just never saw the point of everything. I could never figure out. To me, it was just useless stuff, and I didn't understand why. I was a freshman, and I took typing nine. I got all the way up to 25 words a minute. Man, I was not flying. Let me just say that. And I was just like, why do we even need this? Why? I'll never use this. Right? And then I got to college and seminary and every single day of my life now. And I'm putting into practice what I learned. It actually mattered. I, I, I remember struggling through math equations, fractions and algebraic formulas. And, and students, we'd complain like, ah, we don't need this. I'm never going to use it. And then 10 years later, I was a carpenter. I was laying out subfloors and building stair hand railings and thinking, wow, A squared plus B squared equals C squared makes sense now. Like, I now know how. I'm glad I know how to convert a fraction into a decimal point. It was all suddenly became really useful. And the problem was that the learning and the application were far apart from each other. And so it seemed like it didn't matter, but... It did. And without application, it had no impact. But once I had to apply it, it did. And the same may be true of God's Word in your own life. Maybe you've sat in a church service week after week, year after year, and it just doesn't seem to have any bearing on your daily reality. I mean, you do your Jesus stuff on Sunday, and the rest of the time, you kind of do your own thing. Or maybe you've memorized many Bible verses in Awana, and, and yet you're not sure really how to put any of them into practice. Or you've you've learned about prayer, but you've never met God in prayer. Or you've been told how to share your faith, but you've never mentioned the name of Jesus to anybody. Maybe you've sat in rows of chairs and a talking head like me up here tries to kind of educate you and help you understand the Bible. And, but if you're honest, you just know just sitting there is not the kind of discipleship that Jesus would have for us. Jesus is warning us Friends, Jesus is warning us. He says, a house without a foundation cannot, will not stand. But is is the foolish builder ignoring Jesus? Is the, is the foolish builder rejecting the words of Jesus? No. No, they're not. Jesus says, they hear it, they just don't put it into practice. This message is for those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus. To hear and not practice is what's foolish. See, the most educated people of Jesus' day were the, were the religious leaders. They knew the scriptures better than anyone, and yet they didn't know God. I don't know if you noticed what Matthew wrote at the end of that, at the end of that section there, verses 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? For he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Wow. Isn't it tragic to have the truth and yet not have a relationship with God? To have religion but no spiritual authority? Comes back to, here's what it comes, comes down to a relationship 
with God. Because in a good relationship, we both hear and do. See, my wife's name is Becky, and I think Becky and I have a pretty good relationship. I like her. She's all right with me. You know, we've been at it for 26 and a half years and figuring a few things out. We're, we're learning. Well, she's already learned. I'm learning that it goes well when we, when I listen and do what the other desires. You know, for example, if she were to say, hey, can you pick up some groceries on the way home? And I text back, yep, got it, no problem. And then I show up without the groceries. It's going to create a little conflict. Now, we all make mistakes, but if that were to happen day after day, year after year, what would happen? That the house that is our marriage would collapse, would certainly suffer deep fractures. Jesus says we must hear and do what he says. For example, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you hear that, but you ignore or even despise the neighbor who, let's say, wears a turban and you're, you're just got a kind of cold shoulder and a hard heart toward them, you are foolishly building on sand. But if you make a conversation, show kindness, pray for them, you are wise. Jesus says to forgive, so if you hear that, but you continue in bitterness toward, say, your dad or or someone who wronged you or hurt you in some way, then you are a foolish builder. But if instead you'll say, I release you from that debt, I, I forgive you for what happened, then you're building wisely. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. To do that, we need to be disciples ourselves, wise builders who hear what he says and puts it into practice. And I, we could have more examples. Jesus said not to worry. He said not to put your trust in money. He told us to pray. He told us not to judge others, to give to the needy and so on and so on. And if we hear that, but we don't do that, we're foolish. But if we'll apply it, if we'll obey, then we're wise. The point here is that the foolish builder The foolish builder is not an unbeliever. The foolish builder is not an unbeliever. They're familiar with the word of God. They're just not living it out. Jesus tells us in in verse 25 why this matters. Verse 25 says that though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on rock. Okay, what's happening here? It's a storm. And it's a big storm. And guess what? Every house faces storms. It's like living in an Oklahoma trailer park. Sooner or later, that tornado is coming through. Right? Several years ago, my family and I went through a particularly stormy year. Ministry work, honestly, was very successful. But behind the scenes, the wheels were coming off. And the pressure was crushing in every way. There are two things that sustained me in that time. One is, I had developed a daily habit of reading the Bible and journaling, writing down what God was revealing to me, was showing me. It was helping me hear and apply. 
That's why one of the, that's why one of the reasons I'm so passionate and so committed to this thing we call the R&R Journal here. I heard some of you started that this week. We have those available over on the side there. It's a way of just reading, following a daily reading plan, writing down what God's teaching you and responding to, to what God's showing you in His Word. So that was one thing. The other thing that sustained me was a small group meeting in our home. Those time we call them life groups. Here we call them connection groups. But that, those life group meetings, you know, I didn't need a class to learn more stuff. I didn't need a, a book on doctrine. I just needed a place where the foundation of hearing and obeying and being a part of a community together would be life-giving and it would keep my foundation secure and keep my house from collapsing around us. And the storms may not have hit you yet, but they will. I promise you, they will. The invitation of Jesus is to hear my words, put them into practice. And there's a word for this. There's a word for the person who hears and obeys. And the word is disciple. This person is called a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And a disciple is someone who looks to Jesus for direction on how to live. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. To obey Jesus. They make a difference in the world. And I've seen many of you do exactly these things. It's been fun to watch. See how you share the gospel with your, your family members, your co-workers, and how you live and in what you say. You're, you're, you're practicing generosity. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Even when you don't have a lot extra yourself. You're serving the church and the community. And you're expressing God's love. I love that. That's a being a disciple of Jesus. And the older I get, the, the more convinced I am that it's nearly impossible to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, without being in relationship with other people as well. See, Jesus taught crowds, huge crowds, but he discipled a small group. He let, he healed people, he cast out demons, he did great miracles for the masses of people. But after Jesus returned to heaven, the gospel was not spread by those multitudes that had gotten bread, that had gotten a healing. Those were not the ones who spread the gospel. The ones who took the message of Jesus to all the world were those remaining 11 disciples whose lives were transformed in relationship with Jesus and in relationship with others. You can imagine such a ragtag bunch that Jesus had following him. They had plenty of opportunity right there to practice Loving one another, serving one another, love your enemy, forgiveness. They were transformed in relationship both with Jesus and with other people. As you step into 2019, I want to give you four connection points to help you shore up the foundation of your life. In 2019, I would say this. First of all, make sure you're connecting with God corporately. Well, that's a big word. It just means that together business. It's the larger gathering of Sunday morning worship. It's what you're doing right now at this moment. I would say make a commitment to be in church every weekend. And if you think I'm being religious about this or or legalistic, no, I'm just saying make a commitment to be with God's people on a regular weekly basis. If at all possible when you're on vacation, find a local body to attend. Be a part of it there. When you do, make a concerted effort to participate. Sing the songs, even if you don't know them. Make a joyful noise. Right? Raise your hands. 
Give your tithes and offerings. Engage. Be a part of it corporately. Take notes during sermons. It's all going to help you hear and obey. You want to do that. So connect with God corporately. Secondly, connect with God communally. And I would just say, Sybil, even your, uh, the conference, you're that's part of the corporate connection. What we're doing tonight at North Park is part of the corporate connection, the wider body. So we connect with God in that way. Secondly, connect with God communally. Now this is the setting of the small group that I'm always talking about, or Bible study, where you can be open about what's going on in your life, where you can pray with each other, where you can talk about you know, the practical challenges of what do we do with God's word? What do we do with these things that we're learning? How does it make sense? How do I flesh it out in the day-to-day? It works best in a group of four to 12 people, or maybe you're in a larger Bible study, but it breaks down into smaller settings where you can, you can really basically not hide in the corner. Where you're going to have the opportunity to share, to pray out loud, to read some scripture together, to talk, to express Connect with God communally in a small group setting. Third way is, is to connect with God personally. And I'd urge you to develop kind of a spiritual, we call it spiritual discipline or a spiritual habit of a quiet time with God daily if you can. If you've never done this, start with once a week. Start somewhere where you're just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, whatever it is. I'm going to start somewhere to connect with God personally. And it includes you if you're young, you're in school, you're in college, you're, you're well into retirement. It doesn't matter where you are. It's about developing the ears to hear and the hands to obey. So you want to connect with God corporately and communally and personally. And finally, connect with God practically. I really love, those of you here last week, we had a testimony Sunday. It was so encouraging to hear. Thanks to those of you who shared. It was so great. Um, one testimony was Lou... Um, from here, Lou Wilkinson, he shared how uh, his family in the high school class had had uh, sponsored a family through the Fresno Rescue Mission, and and they brought them gifts and shared God's love with them, and it was just it was just such an encouraging thing to to hear. Some of you had a great time here yesterday, tearing down Bethlehem. Uh, amazing how much got done in just a couple of days. Thank you for those of you who did that. Someone was here this week. It was a team here redoing, resetting the stage for us. I mean, there's. These practical ways that you're serving. Our friend from this church, Pat Heisdorf, she's involved with a program called Good News Club, sharing the gospel with elementary school students every every week. Some of you use your gifts of cooking or teaching or administration or the arts, whatever you're doing. Use those skills to connect with God in a practical, hands-on way because that's all part of putting it into practice, of strengthening the foundation that you're building your house upon. Let's not just hear the words of Jesus and then foolishly build on sand. Let's learn to hear and obey what he says. So our house is on solid rock. And if you've never taken Jesus seriously before or you've wandered far from God, I have to tell you, what a perfect time, the start of the year, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You know, the message of, of the gospel, what we call the gospel, the good news, is really simple. It's that God loves you. He created you to know Him. But your sin, your wrongdoing, separates you from God. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that when you do dumb stuff, you just, you want to retreat, you want to hide away. And so God says, I love you so much. I'm going to make a way for us to be in a friendship, a relationship together. 
God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who, who, who's just, we celebrated at Christmas. Jesus was crucified on a cross where He died and His blood was poured out. And He did that for your sin. He took on my sin. He took on your sin. He went to the cross. And in doing so, He suffered the punishment that God says we deserve. And that when we'll trust Jesus for that exchange that God I'm going to trust Jesus to take all my sins so that I can be forgiven and made right with you. Jesus was laid in the grave and on the third day He was raised to life to defeat death. So you don't need to be afraid of what's to come. When your trust is in Jesus, there's a promise of life forever with God. That's the gospel. That's the message. God loves you. Your sin keeps you apart from Him. Jesus died for your sin. You get to choose whether or not to trust and follow Him. Maybe you're someone here today saying, okay, that to me sounds like the news I've been waiting to hear. It's your decision. No one forces you into it. No one makes that decision for you. Say, Jesus, I would trust you. I'll follow you with my, my whole life. Be the Lord and leader of my life. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer kind of at the end here in just a moment. And I, I just want to close too by kind of reminding us all of, of, of how this all fits into our understanding of our purpose and our mission as a church. Because church, we are on a mission. We're not just here like, you know, like a retreat center. You had a tough week and we all get to come in here and hide away and like, whew, catch our breath. And, you know, this is not the staff room of a, of a, of a school where the teachers get to like, Oh, I can't believe what's going on today, right? This is a, this is a mission sending center where we're being equipped to share Jesus around the world. So the way we're saying it in a few different ways. First, we say that we have a purpose. That we have a purpose and our purpose that we're making Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world. Whatever your community is, your school, your home, your, your workplace, from our communities to the whole world, we want to make Christ Jesus known. And we have a vision. What we see is, what we see, we're not there yet, but what we see is that, that we're becoming a community, a community of disciples, right, that follow Jesus radically, that, that, that love people practically, and that share the gospel simply. That's what we want to be about. Now, how are we going to do that? We have a mission. The mission is how you do those things. And we say it this way, that we're creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. We're creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. That's not saying anyone's a project, but when I connect with someone I don't know, a neighbor or, or somebody at the grocery store, I need to be thinking differently about those connections saying, hey, maybe God has life for this person and maybe it's going to come through me. Maybe by being kind to this person, there's a connection that's going to lead that person to the cross. I want to be creating connections to a full life in Christ. We just came through our big outreach called Journey to Bethlehem. And we had about a thousand or so people linger around afterwards, maybe 1,200 people linger around afterwards asking questions and drinking hot chocolate and eating cookies. And we are creating connections, even those who are already followers of Jesus. We're creating connections to lead them to a full life in Christ. That's our desire, our goal, our intent, what we want to be about. Church, Let's be people this year in 2019 who are striving to hear and do what Jesus says. 
to hear and obey, we'd be amazed at what God can accomplish. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you taught your disciples, taught the crowds, you, you taught those, but you made it clear that it's not enough just to know about you and it's not just enough to memorize your, your sayings. It's, it's about planting them in our life so they grow and they, they, we actually do what you say to do. Lord, forgive me for so often ignoring what you say, rejecting even what you say and doing it my own way. God, that's, that's not what I want for my life and I know it's not what we want as a church. God, I pray that this will be the year we learn to hear and obey more and more so that our foundation is solid and secure. And church, if you're someone right now who's, who's saying, I don't know Jesus personally, but I would like to, I'm going to lead you in a little prayer. You could just pray this just kind of with me. You just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for my sin. I trust you to forgive me. I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, my Lord and my Savior. And if you pray a prayer like that, if that's something you pray with me today, be sure to let me know or let someone that, that you came with know we want to help you take next steps to follow Jesus. God, I thank you for your, your great, great, great love for us. So much that you would send Jesus for our benefit, and for your glory. In His name we pray. Amen.